Hi, welcome back. This is Just Ask the Question, our Sunday show. I am your host, uh, Brian Karam, and with us again to discuss the week's events are uh, John Bennett from CEQ Roll Call, editor-at-large, and Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, bon vivant, and uh, probably one of the sharpest people we'll ever have on this show. And so with that being said, <laughs> I know, no offense to any of the people who've been on the show, I'm just saying. This, um, <laughs> this week, a lot of fun and frivolity. Uh, uh, Joe Biden is on a trip. Uh, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy's on pause, saying they just can't get anything done without the president. A backhanded compliment, if there ever was one. Uh, Senator Feinstein stumbles back in. Um, <laughs> did Donald Trump sell pardons? Good question. But uh, And then, of course, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is on the road in Los Angeles. And uh, I had the joy of being a uh, pooler for her for a day. Boy, that was fun. We'll talk all about that. And <laughs> guess who's declaring for the Republican nomination, none other than the sanctimonious, according to Donald Trump and Tim Scott. So stick around. We've got a lot to unravel, unpack, and have fun with. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It's just asked a question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And I'm going to start out. I, I've kind of got the rundown kind of ass backwards here today, but I'm going to I'm going to start out with um, Kamala Harris because <laughs> I was <clears throat> had the joy of being a um, cooler for her this week as she visited Los Angeles and talked a lot about uh, she had an event at Baby to Baby, which is a nonprofit organization which gives out uh, clothing, uh, diapers, and food and necessities to families in poverty who are having children. And at one point in time, she announced that this pilot program was going out to, uh, well, she misspoke, but she corrected herself. She, or, or later her staff corrected her. But the three states they're going out to are um, Louisiana and New Mexico, and not Oklahoma, which is what she said, but... <clears throat> Arkansas, which where our friend John Bennett, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is now governor who de to decry socialism. But, you know, here's a social effort to help her out. And she certainly didn't mind taking federal money for disaster relief recently. Right. So her sanctimoniousness aside, her sanctimony aside, let's talk a little bit about um, 
this. I, I mentioned that, you know, three red states, are they trying to appeal to the red states? And it is there a concerted effort to do so. But as you pointed out, Michael, that these are states that are in most needs with the highest infant mortality. Yes? Yes, these are states that have high infant mortality rates. There are a few others, uh, mostly across the South. And this program that she is promoting is designed to help children in need. Whether she does it in a politically astute way or not, at least they're doing something that's positive. And so you have to give kudos to the administration for trying to end child poverty and infant mortality and, and the like. And I suppose you can um, knock them politically if they didn't get their message out correctly. However, I guess if you think what are the what is the likelihood of any of those states turning blue in 2024, the answer is next to none. And so, you know, sort of what's what's the point, if you will, um, in in raising up, you know, the politics of it when they won't matter in the end. And so stick to the substance. John, that's cue for you. The, this election, as we understand, could boil down to a handful of states, red, st you know, swing states. Why is it important to to mention to MAGA supporters and and uh, Republican voters why you're helping them out? God knows, I'm going to say, if it were the Republicans helping out blue states, we'd hear a never-ending litany of the reasons why you know the the Republicans are are godlike in stature and the Democrats suck. But mm -hmm. go ahead. <laughs> We, we, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, and Arizona are the ones that we've identified as potential right. swing states. Go for yeah, it. The six, yeah, the six 2020 and really 2016 uh, swing states. Remember that Trump uh, Trump won in those six states by just under 80,000. Um, and if you zero, if you zoom in a little bit more to just Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin, those are really the the three that are are gettable and could go either way. Joe Biden in 2020 only won those three states by a combined 44,000 votes. That is less than um that that's less than a college football stadium uh attendance for any I mean, you know, that you get 44,000 people for an AAC game, Cincinnati and Memphis on a at noon on a Saturday. So that's not I'm a long way of saying that's not a lot of people, especially spread out over three states. So it's like it, 50 votes per county. <laughs> yeah. So you're looking at this thing once again, will come down to 100,000 people in six states. That's roughly the size of the big house where Michigan plays football games, University of Michigan. And that's incredible for a country this big uh, with both population size and, and the land mass in 50 states. It's going to come down to that many people. So, yeah, that's why they have to talk to not just red voters that that have gone for both sides in the last few elections. But, you know, I heard we've all heard for, you know, four or five years that independent voters don't matter and there's no more independent voters. Well, guess who decided the 2020 election independent and guess who decided the midterms and decided that there was not going to be a red wave? You know, Joe Biden takes credit for it because that's how the game's played and he's the president. Uh, but it was really independent voters both times. And that's also who they need to talk to because especially on on you know issues like spending which we're seeing now with the the debt ceiling fight 
and economic issues, a lot of independent voters lean to the right. So they need to talk to those gettable um, non-MAGA Republicans, but also independent voters in those six places. Now, now you say she was announcing this pilot program? Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't go to one of the states to announce it. She was no. in California. And, yeah. and pardon me for being the cynic in the room, but that's the role I was born to play. Was this an event to get her to California so she could spend the weekend at her real life residence because we've seen that trick before because if you do an official event uh you don't have to reimburse the government for the air force two ride do you yeah <laughs> well so there yeah, she's there all weekend and she's leaving on monday but it and but nonetheless i still think they missed an opportunity <clears throat> in your case i do too. <clears throat> yeah why, I, I, why not go to you said louisiana new mexico and arkansas well guess what's on the way from Washington D.C., you could have stopped in New Mexico and done an event there. I don't. No, you could have stopped in Arkansas and done an event. That's halfway across. You know, it's yeah. halfway between. So I don't get. To your point, I don't get doing the announcement in, in California if it's not, you know, a core part of the the pilot project. It just doesn't. It doesn't add up. It just. It doesn't pass the the eye test. Well, that's where the the company is uh, located. So that's, okay. but, but nonetheless, we also didn't even see, you know, we're, we're talking about helping people, you know, babies and children out. We were told that there were families there to meet with her, but we didn't see any of them. We didn't see any of the babies. We didn't see, when has a politician ever turned down an, a, exactly. right. <laughs> a face to face with a baby? That's so almost, they, they it is the, a cliche. <laughs> they missed the layup which is the photo op and the video and, 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 you know, the photos in the video get passed around on social media of her, you know, with mothers and babies, they didn't even miss the layup. They didn't even take it. They just dribbled the ball out of bounds. <laughs> it just, you know, and, and we were talking offline and this is nothing new, but I think this just illustrates that she's always kind of not that next gear. I mean, she was criticized the, the, the Brett Kavanaugh Supreme court, uh, confirmation hearing that was supposed to be her big moment right and she just couldn't get there you know she just that does she have that next gear she's also notoriously churned through staff both um on the hill as a senator and as vice president and you know she's she's not had the best staff members and that's because of the churn it's hard to recruit yeah so we're going to leave that on and that's that's a perfect way to to transit into well I'll say one last thing uh, about it, having covered it, <laughs> and, and as a as a longtime driver, I I guess Michael and I will relate to this more than anything. I've, I've been in a lot of motorcades. It was wonderful if you've ever been on the four hundred five and in, in, uh, in rush hour traffic. It was. I, I wish everyone could experience that moment, going on an empty four hundred five with no traffic. Like it'd be like. No traffic on the Beltway at rush hour. It was a beautiful thing. However, <laughs> there was a driver who wrecked not once, not twice, but three times while we were. And I, I don't know, as a longtime driver, Michael, sitting in a motorcade where the guy in front of you is constantly having an, a, a traffic accident, not a thing you want to go through. <laughs> I, uh, but, it, but it was it was quite a picture to see an empty 405. And I was thinking... How much that had to contribute to people's 
mental well-being. (laughs) I think it could cure all the division in this country if everybody could go through the 405 on rush in rush hour and not have to worry about traffic. Speaking of mental well-being, they should just spend some time with birds. The Washington Post felt a need to alert me that birds, hanging out with birds and their songs are good for your mental health. So that's news that we can all use. Well, I have a morning dove outside my uh, window right now I'd like to shoot, but maybe you're right. (laughs) Well, there's always an exception to the rule. I thought it was a hoot owl, but it's not. Anyway, we're going to use that to transit into the other big news of the week, of course, which was Joe Biden's trip to the G7, and of course, McCarthy's stall on the debt ceiling. He issued a pause while the uh, president was out. And then he said, there's nothing to negotiate. (laughs) We can't do it until the president returns, which I took to mean, wow, really? That's, you know, Kevin McCarthy's supposed to be an equal participant in this, and but he just can't do it unless daddy's here. I just don't, I, it seemed like the, the, the weakest backhand compliment I've ever heard. Um, Michael, let me ask you this. Everyone's still saying that we're screwed, blued, and tattooed if we don't reach an agreement. And as we learned this morning, we we may not be even in the same ballpark. I'll get to that in a second, John. But how bad, what are the legal ramifications? How badly are we screwed if we don't reach? Is this going to end up in in court? Is it going to be, are we just going to screw the economy into the ground? Well, I think it's mostly economic, mostly if they um, don't, hold true to their obligations, financial obligations, then that is uh, an economic disaster, so they say. Um, legally, I don't I don't know. I mean, I expect that there'll be bondholders and the like who may have claims if they're not paid under the terms of their contracts. Uh, the president has said that <clears throat> he's looking at the 14th Amendment, but the 14th Amendment process, whatever that process um, is, can't be accomplished within the two weeks that they have before the June 1st um, disaster deadline that Janet Yellen from the Fed has said. And so I think really what we're talking about is global and domestic economic um, implications, uh, more so, Brian, than, than legal. So in the end, the 14th Amendment, do you think that invoking that we've gone over this before, if just to re- refresh people, if he invokes the 14th Amendment, what's the process that would, I mean, would it actually stop while they appeal it in court or, or is it something that would not stop? Well, that's what I don't know the answer to. And they seem to indicate that uh, there is a judicial component to this, and that's why it can't be accomplished uh, within the two-week time frame that they feel that they have if they started it right now and have a June 1 um, hard stop, according to Yellen, and when our first debts would come due that we're not going to pay. And and John- I think that they have to reach, I, I think they have to reach, Brian, they, they have to reach a, a, an agreement. I don't think yeah. there is a 14th Amendment option here for them. I, I the question is, who is it that will bear the blame if they go over the, the brink? Remember, with Newt Gingrich and the shutdown, uh, he, he thought this would be a good this would be good politics. And it cost them uh, dearly, if I recall correctly. The question here is the same. Will 
McCarthy be blamed for this mm-hmm. if McConnell and Biden are mostly on board um, along with Schumer? Uh, but you've got McCarthy as the lone holdout. Will he and House Republicans bear the political burden of this or will this be somehow uh, a pox on everybody's house or a pox on Biden for not being able to get it done? I just don't know the politics. And that's my transition to John Bennett. To <laughs> That's a, be- that's a beautiful transition. That's right where we were. The segue is complete, John. Well done. Well done indeed. That's a so pro, who's, who's going to hit? Who's going to take the the fall? Who's the fall it, guy? It, it's hard to say who would be the fall guy because there's no actual framework that, as Michael alluded to, that that four of the five would be on board with. Um, and and if McCarthy was the lone holdout. Um, because this morning the Washington Post reported that they don't they they no longer agree on which 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 budget which spending and debt baselines to start the talks from. So you have to sit down with some some numbers that you agree on to to start talking about possible spending caps or you know can we afford to cut over here and what happens if we cut over there? You know it all. It's one big math problem, one big math equation, really. And so if you don't agree on the baselines, if you don't agree on your going in numbers, how do you cut a deal? So this is getting serious. And I'm usually pretty cynical about these, Brian, like you. I've covered yeah. them from Capitol Hill. I've covered them from the White House or both sometimes. And, you know, I shrugged on Friday and, and you know, I tweeted out that when they paused on Friday, that this is right on schedule. You know, And then right. expect 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 a framework and we're getting close and then somebody walks away and then McConnell gets involved and, and maybe pulls this thing from the brink. But right now McConnell's he's the, he's a bystander. He's watching, he's just supporting McCarthy. So, and there's no sign that Mitch is going to get involved. And that's, that has surprised me, but I mean, we got 10 days to go, so that could change, but I think it's hard to say who gets blamed. The last poll I saw um, it was 39%, 39% blaming Biden and blaming McCarthy and Republicans. So we don't know uh, just yet how that might play out. You know, presidents do get blamed for economic situations, but Michael's right. Uh, Republicans have tended to get more of the blame when when we have these these cliff situations. That's not the case uh, this time. I, I, I think that's a reflection of every everything is so partisan and political. That, excuse me, of course the country is split. So I think we'll be able to answer that question probably this time next week. But they have to have, um, they have to come up with something, right? They have to have some kind of, of framework before they can move toward a deal. And it sounded like that's where they were on Friday, that there was a framework. And if you listen to Speaker McCarthy this morning, he says it was the White House that that came back with a counteroffer that was different than what they had been talking about uh, earlier in the day. So it, it's just, you know, and who you believe, not us, but but who voters believe, it, it's probably going to break with how they already affiliate themselves politically. Well, here, the question is, the news that came out this morning about the framework, what do you think the president was trying to do? It's unclear because, I mean, these these negotiations are happening behind closed doors. And, you know, even some of the best congressional reporters in the business um, don't seem to know uh, what's in or out or what's on the table or off the table. Um, 
it's pretty remarkable that these talks haven't leaked a little bit more. Folks are keeping it um, pretty close to the vest, but that could also be a reflection of they don't agree on very much. So there's nothing to leak. Well, or or is it? See, I don't know how to read that because I don't either. It, it, honestly, it it could mean just the opposite. It could mean they're close and they don't want to. They don't want shit to right. leak that'll screw yeah. it up. Sure. So, I mean, I, this is the damnedest negotiation I've ever seen in 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 many a year coming out of. I, one I thing, just, one thing about McCarthy saying we can't move forward today, today being Sunday, without the president returning. That could also indicate that they're closer than they're letting on, and now they yeah. need Joe. They need Joe to sign off. Sign on off something. on something. Right. Or he's or maybe McCarthy and, and he he continues to say he does still see a path to a deal. So maybe they're closer than they're letting on for that very reason. Uh, they don't want it to blow up. They don't want too many people to get involved. And now maybe it's time for, for Kevin and Joe to dot the I's and, and cross the T's or as these things go, dot the T's and cross the I's. <laughs> and, and I go, <laughs> yeah, this administration are, you know, with McCarthy, he, he can't, he can't even write an I or a T, but, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, I go back to what was said um, <clears throat> after, well, first prior to the sit down in the oval and, and afterwards when, McConnell came out to the sticks prior. Joe said, you know, look, we're win, loser, win, loser, draw. Win, we're going to make this happen. It's not, this country won't default on its debts. And then it was McConnell who kind of dismissed McCarthy's fatalism when he came and all his blunder and bluster about and said, listen, we're not going to default. We know it and they know it. And that was it. <laughs> and so you, at the end of the day, you're left, then what the hell are we playing at? Because it, it seems to me like it's all posturing. If both McCarthy, if if both McCarthy, I'm sorry, if both McConnell and Biden are saying we're not going to default, then you've got McCarthy left holding the bag for his far right people so he can say, I put up the good fight. Please don't right. send someone to get rid of me because mm -hmm. they've changed the law, the rule in the house only takes one. Right. So with that, I, I'm still left thinking that they'll make the deal. Well, you know, that said, um, the press secretary, um, Jean-Pierre put out a pretty tough statement, um, yeah. about yes. how the president appointed a senior team, uh, to negotiate in good faith. And last night, she's writing in the middle of the week, the speaker's team put on the table an offer that was a big step back and contained a set of extreme partisan demands that could never pass both houses of Congress. Mm -hmm. The president has over and over put deficit reduction proposals on the table from limits on spending, the cuts to big pharma and oil and gas subsidies. We are ready to meet anytime, essentially anywhere, um, but they, the Republicans are beholden to the MAGA wing and that's not, you know, a basis by which we can move forward and we're going to default for the first time in our history. I mean, that's a pretty tough statement where she's clearly placing blame on, you know, the, the, the right wing fringe of the party that has the ability to remove McCarthy from being speaker on the request of one member 
So, I mean, he he sold his soul to get that speakership. And now that deal, you know, is what perhaps is preventing him from doing what is the right thing, which he might even know is the right thing, but it impacts him personally. And as Phil Oaks sang in the song, Love Me, I'm a Liberal, <laughs> he says of that, you know, of that, of liberals, and it would seem to appear to um, apply to McCarthy, he says there are 10 degrees to the left of center in good times, 10 degrees to the right of center, it affects them personally. And so here's McCarthy, he's 10 degree, he starts out at at least 10 degrees to the right of center um, in, in any time. And if it affects him personally, he swings even further to the right. Um, and that's the problem uh, because that's the deal he struck um, with the devil of the, uh, to getting, to getting the speakership. So we may really be um, in a very different environment like, because McCarthy yeah, yeah. is not just, you know, sort of calculating how does this impact the party broadly in the country generally, but how does this impact me personally? And when yep. you always ha when you have that as part of the calculus, it's never easy to understand how politicians will behave other than in their best interest. You said it, Brian, a million times about um, uh, McConnell that growing up in 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 Kentucky and yeah. watching him, the one thing that one thing that was a certainty was that Mitch McConnell was out for Mitch McConnell's best interest. And I expect right. that Speaker McCarthy is no different and that's not the that's not to degrade Mitch McConnell I expect that that's true for almost anyone in politics that they're out for, for their own personal best interest you don't see too many um people saying I'm going to lose my seat um to do the right thing you know perhaps um uh, Liz Elizabeth Cheney um but but there she was going to get primaried anyway. She knew yeah, she was. Well, yeah. right. There there aren't that many profiles in courage, right? In, in Congress. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't think you'll find I don't think you'll find anyone disagreeing with you on that one. But Michael, it was a great segue into what I, I was reading the John Pierre thing when it came out, and and I'm glad you brought it up. And and so John, where does that leave us? I mean, with her saying. What she's saying is that it is it an indication that it's not business as usual? I think it certainly is. I read that yesterday, um, like you and and Michael as a veteran of these things, and um, they're trying to pressure McCarthy, right? They're they're, they're trying right. to she's trying to they're trying to pressure McCarthy there into um, almost proving that he's not, as they call it, ultra MAGA. But he cut all these deals. We still don't know all the deals he cut uh, with the MAGA crowd in his conference to become speaker, to get to get the votes he needed. So um, who knows if, if there's some some special deal he cut about the debt ceiling with two because all it takes is one to force right. a vote on vacating the chair, the chair being his chair. And um, so. So one um, or two members one of or Congress. two could come in and 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 who is the they that you go talk to to say don't send one of your members because you know we you know folks out there don't think that you know the Freedom Caucus has a clubhouse in the Cannon basement or something they're not all Freedom Caucus um, there right. are conservatives who just kind of do their own thing and and they freelance and and there's no 
control over some of these conservatives. And, you know, if you get frustrated enough and there's a, a motion to vacate the chair on the floor and you think Steve Scalise or Tom Emmers or, or no. hell, Lauren Boebert might be a better speaker, then, you know, on the wrong day, he could lose that vote and Democrats aren't going to help him. No. <laughs> um, so this, he's really walking a tightrope. And, and that, you know, that statement, I, I know what, what the White House is trying to do, but Kevin McCarthy wants to be speaker more than just about anything else. Um, and, and Michael's right. When you bring ego and personality into it, that that's different. You know, this isn't yeah. John Boehner uh, trying to cut a deal with Harry Reid or something like that. And then, and then Joe Biden motorcading up to the Capitol to meet with those two guys. And then Mitch comes in the room and, and the adults kind of work this thing out. Um, and, and Boehner cut some of these deals and it ended up being the end of his speakership. And he yeah. got fed with dealing with, with his right faction, uh, always giving him a hard time and, and threatening, uh, to come for his job. And he called their bluff and he, you know, he walked into the studio in this Capitol visitor center singing zippity doodah because he was yeah. out of there. <laughs> so, uh, Boehner did, Boehner did risk it. And that was yeah. something of a profile in courage in cutting a deal with Obama, uh, president Obama, who, at the time, his right flank, you know, they hated him as much as these guys hate Joe Biden. So um, I don't get uh, John Boehner vibes from Kevin McCarthy. No, no, no. <laughs> Profiles and courage you will not see. I'll end this before we go to break with just I think what we're in in response to, Michael, what you were talking about, the statement, Corrine uh, issued that statement. And emphasizing that everyone agreed there would be a bipartisan solution. And it came in part because of what McCarthy said earlier. He said, unfortunately, the White House moved backwards, McCarthy said, adding that the socialist wing of the Democratic Party appeared to be in control, which is just, if you look at it, it's just, uh, mm, that, that's deflection because it's it's the far right that's holding him um hostage in these negotiations and it and it could boil down to the fact that there's only one or two members of congress who are going to hold this country up uh for ridicule and and for possible economic collapse and that shouldn't happen so with that said we're going to take a short break and when we come back other news of this week including the fact that in a very strange case involving rudy giuliani it's exposed that Donald Trump may be selling pardons. We'll take a look at that when we uh, come back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me again, uh, <clears throat> former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large and soon-to-be, once again, White House <laughs> reporter, <laughs> or at least on a 
partial time on, on, on occasional basis. John, oh yeah, we'll get over there. We're gonna get over there. Our uh, our usual White House correspondent uh, taking some time off. So uh, time to call in the backup quarterback. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I I'll go with the backup in this case, brother. So anyway, I won't go into that. I <laughs> love you and I'd love to see you back at the White House. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> so it, but here we go. The next event to talk about at the White House. Uh, is the wonderful event this week that you cannot miss, you cannot, you cannot ignore. And I'm going to go straight to the uh, the um, the quote. <clears throat> Giuliani asked Ms. Dunphy if she knew anyone in need of a pardon, telling her that he was selling pardons for two million dollars a piece, which he and President Trump would split. He told Dunphy that she would refer individuals seeking pardons to him so long as they did not, quote, go through the normal channels of the office of the pardon attorney because correspondence going into that office would be subject to the disclosure under the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, Michael, I'll let you, you gotta, you gotta hit me with this one, brother. What is this? This is the Rudy Giuliani case. What exactly does this mean for the United States? Well, <laughs> What it means um, for Rudy Giuliani and, and President Trump, if this were to be proven true, is um, jail, I would think. I mean, this is <laughs> this is this is not so this is not allowable, of course, but I think we have to, you know, take the allegations with a with a grain of salt. They've of course, as always are, is the case. The um People accused have categorically denied the truth of it. But um, this woman, Noelle Dumphy, who was a former aide to Giuliani uh, for quite a long time, she is a New York-based public relations person. She is suing him for unlawful abuse of power, wide-ranging sexual assault and harassment, wage theft, and other misconduct committed during her time where she worked for him in 2019 and 2020. So that's the lawsuit. She's filed this lawsuit that she was subjected to sexual assault, harassment, wage threat, wage theft, and misconduct. But in the course of that filing is where she makes this allegation that Giuliani, just as you read, Brian, Giuliani said if she knew of anyone who was in need of a pardon, they were selling him for $2 million um, to be split between Giuliani and Trump. <laughs> you know, honestly, um, the, the, there's a lot about the president and the former the former president, the former mayor, that makes you sort of shake your head. I, I Yes, we I, just I, saw John doing it vigorously. Because yeah. Um, I just can't imagine that there's truth to this. I mean, I, I don't want to be one who is a Pollyanna, but I don't also want to be suffering from Trump derangement or Giuliani derangement syndrome. Uh, so I take this with a, a healthy, you know, amount of of skepticism. But you asked the question: Were were it true? What consequences? And the consequences are. You're, if you're selling pardons as the president of the United States, um, that's that's a you know prima facie case of um, abuse of office, bribery, 
sort of quid pro quo um, illegal conduct. And one would think that under those circumstances, you would have to spend time in jail. But as I say to you, I can't I, I can't credit this. I, I don't know. Uh, well, my question my... about about um, um, the Noel uh, Dunphy. So I can't say, you know, she's a she's a credible litigant. Um, but it's it's quite a headline grabbing uh, thing, right? Selling well, the, pardons the, the for two million dollars and winning it. Yeah, but the question I have for you as a prosecutor, how would you go about if if you're avoiding the official channels, how would you prove these allegations? It would be wouldn't you have to bring in you'd have to know other people that they had made these uh proposals. I mean proposals to I mean it, it, this is would be a very difficult case to prove, I should think, unless you've got people coming forward well, it, you know, I guess, documenting it. Well, I guess it would depend on how how it came, you know, came down. So, if, for example, I'm one who was who sought a pardon, uh, didn't get it, um, ah. but can say that yes, in fact, I I, I was in negotiations for uh, this. I was willing to pay the two million, but it didn't work out. Or I paid the two million and I never got the pardon. Um, now that would be true. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 you know that would be that would be that would make the case a lot easier if the person if a person said yes i was offered this opportunity i paid money and i was told to send a venmo or write a check or send you know bitcoin too and <laughs> they have you know uh, a financial record of the transaction so the, it's not that these cases are unprovable but generally, they require um, a witness who can say, yes, in fact, I was involved in this scheme. I don't know how Ms. Dunphy uh, knows this. You know, it doesn't, in, in what I read about it, it doesn't say what the basis for her knowledge of this is, other than she says, he said to me, um, if you know anyone, let, let me know. If that's all there is to it, his having said that to her and nobody else can confirm it in any way, then I, I don't think this goes very far. John, but it all... sure was shocking to see. Yeah. Well, and John, we all having covered uh, the the uh, Trump White House, there is no doubt that, you know, that doesn't hit us as too far afield of something that Donald Trump would do. But... Nonetheless, it, it was even a little bit shocking for me to see that that uh, this was said in in open court about Rudy Giuliani. Were you? Mm -hmm. uh, how'd you take it? Well, uh, you don't know how to take it for all the reasons that Michael just walked through. And I agree with those. I think this would be pretty hard um, to prove. Now, we know that that Giuliani does email and text, unlike uh, former President Trump, who's never who's you know, I've been been savvy enough over the years to not use those the because because you leave receipts as they call them. So I don't know yeah, if he Ms. saw Dunphy... Goodfellas. That's where that, yeah. that was his guy. Right. <laughs> He's big Paulie. <laughs> so I don't know if 
Miss Dumphy has any receipts. Um, I don't think she has brought those forward just yet. If she does, I think it'll be hard to prove. The one thing I will say is uh, Donald Trump still talks a lot about pardons. He still brings up pardons and he's yeah. been out of office for a few years. So, and we know it was on his mind um, on the way out and, and they did a number, he did a number of pardons and uh, shortened sentences um, on the way out that did go through the office of the pardon attorney. And they did regularly run those traps, as they say. Um, I mean, you know, I was in uh, the West Wing a time or two. And uh, one time uh, our our old buddy Bill Shine had to go to a meeting about pardons. Yeah. They had a list that they were going through with the president. So this was a constant theme um, from what I saw. And that's all I can speak to is they did a lot through the normal channels that they did run it through uh, the office of the pardon attorney. So, um, you know, I could see, I can see this one both ways. Uh, it is interesting though. He, he still talks a lot about him, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past him pardon himself if he got back in office, but I, I also, would, yeah, I also <laughs> wouldn't put it past Rudy Giuliani <clears throat> making this shit up. He, yeah he could have been he could have been freelancing to impress yeah. someone or yeah, yeah or to make a little money for himself i i i just but the but this does lead into the big discussion from this week about donald trump um ron DeSantis is set to declare and tim scott did declare for uh to run against trump for the 2024 a nomination from the Republican Party, and I'm sure if there's anything to the allegations that we just discussed, or even if there isn't, that's going to be brought up by many of his opponents just to give him shit on the campaign trail. But uh, I'll start with you, John. You and I have discussed this. Why the hell does Ron DeSantis even declare? What's the point? Yeah, I, we talked about this recently. I I understand 100% why Senator Tim Scott is running for president. I get it. Um, he wants to introduce himself to a bigger part of the voting base. He's thinking down the road. Someone has to come after Donald Trump. And Tim Scott, in four years, no matter what happens in, in 2024, in 2028, there will have to be another Republican nominated uh, for president. So he's thinking down the road. And who knows if, you know, we expect Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee this time. He's going to need a running mate. And Tim Scott would make history as the first um, black person to be at, the, uh, you know, at, at not at the very top, but uh, on 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 the ticket on the, on the Republican ticket for the ticket. Republican side. Sorry, right. for the yeah. Republican side. So um that makes sense to me. That makes complete sense that he would run and at some point bow out gracefully enough and endorse Donald Trump. Now, Ron, I understand why Nikki Haley is running for president. Same reason that they, they want to be they want to be first in line or second in line when Trump's political career, at least as a candidate, comes to an end. So that makes sense. But Ron DeSantis is the one who can do himself, I think, the most political harm in running this time. Because this isn't going to be, uh, you know, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley versus, you know, Ron DeSantis. This is going to be DeSantis versus Trump. And 
you know, Trump's going to lay off those other folks and he's all, well, he already is laying off those other folks. It's like, they're not even in the race. If you just, right. if, if you just had blinders on and, or if you were on the Trump beat and uh, shout out to everyone who will be on the Trump beat when, when uh, news outlets make their campaign assignments, uh, I will buy some of you drinks because that's going to be some combat duty pay, um, but if you're just covering Trump, you wouldn't know that anyone else is in the race. And DeSantis isn't even in the race yet. So he's going to just triple down on his daily attacks on DeSantis. He calls him DeSanctimonious. <laughs> so that's just going to ramp up. This is going to be Trump versus DeSantis. And you know, DeSantis could play this a little differently. He could schedule an event this week, continue to play coy. And he could say, you know what? I'm focused on Florida. The, the polls are clear. Um, our party wants Donald Trump to be the nominee, and I'm ready to help him uh, do that and then help him beat Joe Biden in the general election. I just think that Trump is going to it's like a boxer. And I think it's it's a terrible matchup for DeSantis. And he's going in there with a guy who's just going to beat him up and bloody him. And, you know, some people have said, well, Barack Obama was, you know, 40 something points. Uh, in 2018, or I'm sorry, 2008 was uh, 40 points behind Hillary Clinton when then Senator Obama got in the Democratic primary. But I just, I, I, I think this is a, a completely different matchup. Donald Trump is a completely different politician than Hillary Clinton. Um, and and, wow, and DeSantis just, is no Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, DeSantis was anointed as as this competitor to Trump and the polls don't show it. He's had a bad few weeks. Uh, Disney is, is no longer going to build, you know, a new headquarters in Florida. That's a lot of jobs. And people see that. People understand that. And some of his social policies, you know, he's tried to get and he has gotten to the right of Trump on a lot of things. And, you know, I think he's he's already damaged himself politically, nationally. Um, and I think, you know, going head to head against Trump and, and you know, he so he's supposed to be this competitor. He hasn't been. He's going to get in the race. Trump's going to bloody him up, beat him up every day. And I think he's just going to come out looking, you know, less like the heir apparent or an alternative to Trump. Whereas Haley and Scott, there's nothing but upside because they can bow out at, at, a, at a certain point, not be as beaten up and be in a position to be the leaders of the party in, in you know, I guess, six years. Michael? Hey, so can I just offer yeah. um, uh, an observation? And as you guys know, I know almost nothing about uh, politics. So here's here's the, the wonderment that I have. If you're if you're Ron DeSantis. If Trump were to be the nominee and he were to lose again to Biden, does that tell the Republican Party that they have to shift their strategy? They have to change their message on choice. They have to change their message on guns because they, they are getting beat at the presidential level. And if, the, if it does tell them that, has DeSantis's time come and gone without him ever having had a chance to run. So is he maybe saying to himself, look, I may not be able to beat Trump head to head at the moment, but if down the line Trump gets indicted for 
conspiracy to defraud the United States on January 6th or obstruction of justice in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, maybe, just maybe, people say, you know what, he's too damaged a vessel and let's look around to see who's the most Trumpian other alternative out there. And that is DeSantis. And so he comes in in, in a failed um, Trump presidency. Excellent. That's it, it, an excellent point. And it's one I've, I've brought up myself is. Oh, it's it, excellent because you brought it up yourself. <laughs> I get it. It's excellent that you brought it up, but I, <laughs> it, but it is an excellent point. The, the, the point is when, if, if Trump gets indicted, uh, it, uh, if further indictments tarnish Trump before next May, thereabouts does this provide the path that DeSantis needs is he gambling so the question is is Ron DeSantis gambling that Donald Trump will not be on the ticket for reasons outside of Donald Trump's control right that's the question I'm asking and so he he sits there waiting unable to be knowing he can't beat Trump if Trump remains the guy but if Trump is not the guy he is the the ideological heir apparent and my thought is that if Trump remains the guy and loses, does the party then pivot to the center? And they yes. say DeSantis is too Trump-like. We can't, we can't, we have to start looking to the to the Chris Christie's or the or the Governor Hogan's or somebody else who can win nationally. Yeah, and that's, that's my only wonderment. I don't know. No, I, I I wonder too if if he's taken a look at the at the soup and gone, look, this is my shot. If if uh, if Donald Trump's out, I can get in. If Donald Trump is in and gets beaten, then I'm out. And he's got enough. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm reading the tea leaves as you know. Good Lord, how many more mixed metaphors can I use? Soups, tea leaves. But uh, reading that uh, those political signals, is this his only chance? Uh, John, do you think that that's yeah. that there that that has any merit? I mean, you've covered these things. I, I, yeah, that has a merit that he's that that's what he's calculating. Um, I'm, you know, I go back to the eye test a lot, the smell test, and I'm I I remain unconvinced that Ron DeSantis is the guy. Be it, you know, if Trump gets indicted oh, yeah. two more times and decides. You know, if a judge orders him to a courtroom for a trial and he can't run and he, he you know, he, if Trump drops out, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, some of these policies that DeSantis has pushed, I mean, he can be the nominee, but I don't think he's electable uh, in a general oh, election. Oh, I don't. I, I, yeah, I agree. So, you know, does the party coalesce around somebody who, who can't, who can't win a, a general election? I just... I, I just have a hard time as, as hard as I squint. And I, I think I have a pretty good imagination. Um, <laughs> I can't, I just, I still haven't gotten there with, with DeSantis. No, I, I hear you. And it's a good question, but both of those, I, you, so the, uh, the idea then in analyzing it is that he may be uh, smart enough to see that his, it's his only chance to get a nomination, but not forward thinking enough to realize that he has for the general voter outside of the Republican Party, all the appeal of a rancid roadkill. Yeah, that's I, I mean, if he's there, then that's why he's where he is now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, 
before we uh, take a break and go, I want to uh, bring one thing up from the, that came out this morning from the White House. Um, and then we'll take a short break and come back and talk about Feinstein. Uh, this was a statement from White House Communications Director <clears throat> Ben LeBoat, and it was issued this, I guess, earlier today, about uh, 12 hours ago. And he says, President Biden has made clear for weeks that Congress must act to prevent default. Uh, following the meeting, he assigned an experienced negotiating team. Now Republicans are taking the economy hostage and pushing us to the brink of default, which could cost millions of jobs. Uh, Republicans are recycling a barely watered down version of their extreme budget proposal. Uh, there remains a path forward to arrive at a reasonable bipartisan agreement if Republicans come back to the table to negotiate in good faith. But President Biden will not accept a wish list of extreme MAGA priorities that would punish the middle class and neediest Americans and set our economic progress back. So uh, uh, to what we were speaking of prior to the break, it looks like that um, this is a little bit different than than we've seen in the past, but at the same time, what we've seen in the past in these negotiations. And so it looks like when McCarthy says, come back to the table, Joe, he, it sounds more like he's begging him to come back because he's lost control of his own people. Who knows? But that's the latest from the White House. And with well, that- no, no, no. Uh, sorry, sorry, Brian. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we can frame it as, has McCarthy lost control of his people? I would ask, when did he ever have control of his people? <laughs> Good point. That uh, that he remains unable to control his people. Uh, so that's. But who could? But who could? I'm not. I, I don't mean that as a criticism. No, I agree with McCarthy. you. Who could? Yeah, that's. There's, uh, there's one man. Yeah. And we know who, Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except to the point that Trump asked his. Uh, House Republicans to support McCarthy earlier on in the speakership fight, and they didn't. They didn't follow him. Good point. Right? Yep. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And with all that said, uh, the last statement by the president's office: Republicans are trying once again to reward tax cheats by gutting funding for the IRS. So, uh, making the point that they are only there for the rich. So, with all that, we'll take another short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And with us in this final segment, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who came back, stumbled into the Senate uh, this week, and we found out she has uh, actually far uh, worse problems than we thought. We also have some letters we'll get to. Uh, but... When Feinstein came back, there were still people calling for her, uh, you know, to step down and to move out. We'll get to the political side of that. But, uh, Michael, is there any move that can be made to force her out? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe 
there's a way to remove people from the Senate if they are lacking uh, the competence to serve their position, but that's not going to likely happen. They're not going to force, you know, a senior woman from the chamber that she's served in admirably for so long. So it's really on her. And why she's so determined to serve out the remainder of her term when she sees the consequences that it's having on her party and her reputation uh, is beyond me, except to go back to Phil Oaks. When it affects them personally, they behave differently. And maybe she just wants her legacy to be that she was, what, a four-term, five-term senator from, right. from California. And um, she left voluntarily uh, at the end of her term, as opposed to illness stripped her of her ability to serve and she doesn't want to leave that as her her legacy i i, I don't get it brian but i don't yeah. i don't get the calculus that most politicians make when it comes to good of the country good of the party even versus uh, their own their own personal interest i i, I just don't understand the, the 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 analysis that they they go through um you know, boxers that that fight one too many fights. I I don't get that either. Yeah, I, well, uh, nor do I. She uh, assumed office November fourth, nineteen ninety two. Her current term ends uh, January of twenty twenty five. So she'll be on ballot next year, or her uh, her spot in the Senate will be. Uh, John, any of this surprise you? You've been in the Senate. You've covered Feinstein. Uh, I'm a little surprised that that she came back uh, just a little bit. Um, you know, uh, should she resign? Should she not? Um, you know, since I have to to cover that and um, I'm going to I'm going to let you and Michael discuss that. But did we need to see Michael Jordan with the Wizards? You know, it, it, we you start to get that vibe here. Uh, she was confused last week at times when reporters uh, asked her questions, just like we do of, of the other 99 senators. Right uh, now, there is more at play here, and and colleagues at the the New York Times, the LA Times, I believe the Washington Post, and Politico have done reporting on this. There's a lot of California politics going on behind the scenes. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's oldest daughter, for instance, is one of uh, Senator Feinstein's uh, caretakers and has been with her on the Hill since she's been back. Um, of course. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, still powerful, especially in California, uh, in Democratic politics. She's endorsed Adam Schiff for Feinstein's seat. Feinstein has announced she's not running for re-election. Right. So uh, Pelosi has endorsed Feinstein. Gavin Newsom is the Democratic governor of California. He has said if if Senator Feinstein uh, leaves office before a term ends, that he would almost certainly appoint a black woman and Barbara Lee is a black woman. She's a congresswoman from California, longtime congresswoman. She's running for Feinstein's seat. And the scuttlebutt is um, if if Newsom did find himself where he had to appoint someone, that it would probably be Barbara Lee. But Pelosi world does not want Barbara Lee to essentially become the incumbent because that would, in voters' minds, well, she's already there. We know right. her. And let's let's just keep her there. 
and and not put Adam Schiff in the Senate seat. So um, the stories don't come out and say that Pelosi is pushing this necessarily, but boy, they they imply a lot in these stories. I encourage everyone uh, to go read those articles, uh, especially the New York Times report, which I thought was was a fascinating look at how these things go and, and what's playing out in California. Well, one of the things that we have to address, and you, you, you've touched on it, John, is if the governor appoints, will have the ability to appoint someone. She came back after two months and it was disclosed that she had the bout with shingles and that included contracting encephalitis. Right. So she's frailer, uh, as, as these uh, reports note, she's frailer than ever. Um, and has, sure. re has refused to entertain discussions about leaving the Senate. Though when she arrived last week, and that, that was frightening to me because when I first remember Diane Feinstein, she was very uh, energetic. Uh, she was very, yeah, and, but you know, she was in a wheelchair. One side of her face was frozen. Uh, what, one of her eyes looked closed. I mean, this was shocking to me having seen yeah. her, you know, 30 years ago, the first time she showed up and just being a very dynamic person, she looks frailer than ever. And the question is, can she even make it to, to the end of her term? And, and that, yeah, she she hasn't been she's been voting, but, you know, the Senate likes to do two voting blocks. You know, they'll do a late morning vote, <clears throat> excuse me, and kind of an early evening vote. They love the 11, 1130 and 530. Uh, sometimes, you know, they'll do one vote at 230. Yeah, well, she hasn't been sticking around on the Hill for those late votes. She's yes. been missing those. So, you know, she's back, but she's not voting every time. Now, you know, if there's a debt ceiling deal at two in the morning, I would, I would, they, they'll need her vote for that. So I assume that they'll get her into the chamber and, and she'll I, flash the thumbs up and it will be, it will be, it will be uncomfortable. No doubt. If that's a 3 a.m. vote. Yeah. She used to be a pioneer, man. She was, she was a force to be reckoned with. And it's just, I, it just, it, it, it I, I don't understand it myself. Michael, you were, you had something you were going to add. I guess I'm going to, I, to John's point about the New York times reporting about, what's going on on behind the scenes between Barbara Lee and Adam Schiff and their desire to replace Feinstein in the 2024 election. And what I wonder is, can a, can a deal be brokered where Newsom, the governor, who would be the appointing official, should Feinstein leave her seat prematurely? Can he say, look, I'm not going to appoint Lee and I'm not going to appoint Schiff. I'm going to appoint somebody who agrees that they will not run. Um, they'll stay there for the 18 months or whatever it is. Um, and that leaves the field open for Lee and Schiff to, to battle it out and see who the public um, wants as their next senator. And maybe that allows Pelosi to, you know, sort of call off her, her forces and Newsom has the ability to make an appointment that is groundbreaking if that's what he wants as his ticket to you know 2028 presidential aspiration. So I think there should be the possibility of a of a, of a deal there if, if those got if that's if what's keeping her in the Senate is state politics. Yeah, uh, don't forget there's Katie Porter too. There's Katie Porter. There's Barbara Lee and Adam Schiff that are all three mentioned as possible. Yeah. 
And and, and and never forget how Diane Feinstein got there, too. She was appointed mayor in San Francisco in 1978 after George Moscone was assassinated. So this is not, I mean, being an appointee is is not a dead end <laughs> to anybody's political right. it career. It can be a launching pad for sure. Yeah. So, Bennett, Bennett, let me ask you this question. We know that Karim here has now um, got an apartment in California. What about we we float the trial balloon of Tarum for interim senator uh, oh my on the goodness. promise that he will not run because he's not electable um, in 2024. You got and, that one right. And then, and then live allow Feinstein to make a graceful exit. I'm thinking that that's the that's the gambit. Let's do it. And I I would like to nominate Michael Zeldin as interim <laughs> Senator Karen's chief of staff. <laughs> I would like to see uh as long as like you do the press you in action. Yeah, I want to yeah, see no, you do I, the I'm press. Thinking, I'm thinking, John, that there's there's a very large potential for hostile work environment. <laughs> not to not to mention impeachment. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> That brings up one of the letters this week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with uh, with with uh, you, John. Uh, this is from Biden Lover twenty twenty four. So you know where this is coming from. Uh, why are you treating Joe Biden so poorly, considering who the last president was? You've covered them both. I I I try to call balls and strikes. I I don't I don't I'm not that concerned with with Trump's last at bat, um, I'm watching Joe Biden try to get on base and, and knock home runs and, uh, and, and knock runs in. I'm not, you know, I'm not comparing, uh, you know, Joe Biden to, to Donald Trump. I'm, I'm trying to cover the presidency. And, and I said the same thing when, when, uh, Donald Trump was in office, I'm covering the presidency. He happens to be occupying it at the present time. And, you know, my my approach, I, I I try to be as consistent as possible, no matter if I'm on the Hill or covering the White House. You know, you look at what these elected officials and the folks that work for them, watch what they say and then pay even more attention to what they do. And, you know, Joe Biden has had his 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 wins and he's had his strikeouts at the plate. And you, you just try to analyze and and judge and. Uh, and just be professional and and critical. You have to look at everything with a critical eye. And you know, Joe Biden has an argument to make that he's had a successful term, um, but he's also had stumbles, and and we have to cover those too. And we certainly cover we certainly covered Trump's stumbles, and we continue to do that. Yeah, yeah, that indeed we have. And I I would point out to the reader that look, you, you obviously. Or, or to the writer here of this letter, Biden lover 2024. We actually know where your where, where, right. where your sentiments are, and, and we get it. And but here's the point: as far as I'm concerned, as a reporter, I don't give a shit. At the end of the day, these are these people work for us, and it. You know, I've been accused. I'm I'm never happier than when I write something that pisses off the far right and the far left at the same time, then I feel I've actually done my job for the day because it, 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 if we're not pushing back, if we don't um, ask the, the tough questions, if we don't show warts and all, then we end up actually uh, where we were in the last administration. We're not propagandists. 
Uh, so that's uh, I, and and never will be. For uh, for Michael, I have a question from CNPA forty four. What would you do differently? Well, with the cuddles, with with the uh, backstory saying they heard what you had written or had said before in this in this podcast. What would you do differently if you were in charge of prosecuting Donald Trump at the federal level? I think actually Merrick Garland is doing a good job of investigating what's going on vis-a-vis uh, -vis Trump and Mar-a-Lago and January 6th. I think that these are very complicated cases. We saw yesterday, I think it was the day before, um, Jack Smith in federal court in a sealed um, hearing uh, with lawyers who represent, is assumed, communications companies where they're trying to get electronic media uh, to help prove their case. The, these are hard, hard cases. And everyone's expectation that these are cases that should have been made long ago, I think, are just unfamiliar with how complicated they are and how difficult it has been to get all the evidence that you need in, in these cases. So I'm still on Merrick's side of the analysis that that he's going about this methodically and i invite people to read jeffrey tubin's uh, recent book on timothy mcveigh and the oklahoma city bombing case where merrick garland then in the deputy attorney general's office sort of oversaw that investigation and how they methodically put that case together uh it has many parallels, I think, to what's going on here. And so in answer to the question, I don't know at the moment that I would do anything okay. differently than what's that than what Merrick is doing. Well, you know, one of the things that I think people forget, and Michael, you can speak to this, and I, I think this is part of what the reader is or the, the listener is getting at, is that <clears throat> Donald Trump and the Republican Party and many people who are being investigated or are potentially part of this investigation have thrown up some very thick roadblocks against getting to the information by refusing to testify, by not accepting uh, uh, um, subpoenas. I mean, is that not part of the problem that he has to overcome? Of course. And and the claims of executive privilege and, and the like that they've readily been able to defeat. They take time, um, but they're defeatable. But in terms of acquiring information from social media companies and telecom companies and other stuff that they want to be able to prove connections between people, those are much more complicated cases to win. And that's where the Justice Department seems to be in court at the moment, still trying to gather evidence that allow them to connect the dots. And you just don't bring cases generally where you can't connect the dots. And you certainly don't bring cases without being able to connect all of the dots against a former president of the United States because of the political implications of a failed uh, prosecution. And and to speaking to this point, you'll talk to I, and prosecutors and defense attorneys over the years will tell you, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the longer it takes to get something 
to a trial or to an indictment phase, the better for the for the defense. Usually, memories fade, uh, things are harder to find, and so I guess the concern of, among the general public has something to do with that. Yes. Well, yes, except I don't think that is as applicable in a case like this. Okay. You want to analogize this case to say Richard Nixon's, um, what would have right. been Richard Nixon's prosecution. Right. That took a long time uh, to litigate the Watergate tapes. Um, and so you, to your point, Brian, while well, you're thinking, well, this is taking a long time, this is taking a long time, this has got to be advantageous to the defense. But of course, as soon as they got the tapes and they were able to listen to them, <laughs> the, the Nixon presidency was yeah. over. So if, for example, they're in court now, trying to get telephone records or uh, social media transactions or transactions on WhatsApp, you know, the encrypted sort of stuff. If those cases once won connect Donald Trump hypothetically to Roger Stone, who's connected to the Proud Boys, then you've made your case a lot simpler. But right. to get to that point is very difficult. Uh, um, very complicated litigation. Thank you. And thank you for our, our, our listeners, CNPA 44 and for Biden lover 2024 for your, for your remarks this week. And uh, once again, the show is just ask the question. I am your host, Brian Karam. John, once again, we plug where we can find your stuff. Uh, CQ afternoon briefing. Yeah, you can subscribe at CQ.com and every Friday or most Fridays, uh, weekly column on rollcall.com. And you will not turn down an old fashioned, I take it. Um, maybe, maybe not today. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the and, day's young, so you never. Yeah, know. the day's it's early. And Michael, where can we find you? My podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin, and it is on all major podcast apps, as we've discussed in the past. It is a podcast about books that re represent interesting ideas. And I indicated that I just released uh, this week my interview with Mehdi Hassan from MSNBC on debate and winning arguments. And uh, next week, it'll be Joan Biskubik's book on the Supreme Court and its tilt to the right. And then I think we'll be following it with Jeffrey Tubin's very interesting book, on the rise of white nationalism, tracing it to the Oklahoma bombing case. So interesting stuff to think about outside of the day-to-day -day Washington Post, New York Times, roll call political stories that educate us um, like no others. And uh, my name is Brian Kerman. This is Just Ask the Question. I am going to answer one last email from uh, or letter from Tellerwriter13, and, and I'll include all of you in this. Why do we talk about <laughs> classic rock so much? What is it that it appeals to us for classic rock? They like hip hop. I, I'm glad you like hip hop. I'm sorry. I, I this is who I am. I was uh, I, I play in a band. I like rock and roll music, and I'd rather listen to some of that. And I, I John's a little younger than I am, but <laughs> Michael's right there with me. I hope. <laughs> listening to some classic rock. So who's your favorite classic rock artist, John? I'll start with you. <clears throat> Pass. Pass. Michael? They, I don't know. They, I mean, they, I... 
They were they Classic were good. Rock, pairs. How do you they, they, that? they were one the one hit wonder band, if I remember yeah. correctly. <laughs> From uh, Latvia, weren't they? <laughs> I don't know. How do you define classic rock? It yeah. it just expands, it seems like. It does. It, it started out, classic rock was the 50s, and it became the 50s and 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and now 80s and, and 90s. I, I mean, well, Green Day is considered classic rock these days. If we're including the 80s, um, I'm going to go uh, with Guns N' Roses. There you go. Michael? Again, uh, uh, to John's point, Define terms because no nobody equals the Beatles, period, full stop. Yeah. And so if that's considered rock, you know, maybe it's it's soft rock. I don't know what classic <laughs> versus soft is. You know, are are the Eagles and Led Zeppelin in the same you know list genre? Bands? Yeah. Uh, it's it's right. hard to it's hard to say. But if we're talking about music from the 1950s, the oh. post 1950s period, then it's the Beatles end of conversation. If you want to start talking about who's next in line, we can have that conversation. But <laughs> Well, I'm going to go with the Beatles always. Be Beatle fan till the end. Ringo gets you drums. And with that said, this is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. We will catch you next week at the same bat time, same bat channel. Have fun. Have a good week.